Turn with me in your Bible to Acts. We are kind of getting on the home stretch. We'll finish up the the book pretty quickly at this point. We're in chapter 21. Uh, translation. I'm I'm reading out of actually I'm reading out of the New King James. Some of my passages I'll be reading today are out of the New Living Testament and the NIV, because I look through different versions and find the different ways that I like the scriptures that, that it sounds good. Um, but uh, for the most part, I'll be writing out a New King James. New King James. And uh, referring to it. God, as we get into the time and the word this morning, we just pray open our hearts and our minds to hear what you want to speak to each and every one of us, God. Um, your word, uh, even in this Acts chapter 21, is rich of so many things. I pray that you would just encourage us this morning, challenge us. Um, we thank you for that you left your word for us, that we're not here groping around like blind people, Father, but you've given us a path. You've given us your words and they're anointed. So bless this time in the word as, as even as I would slip away and you would come in and minister through the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, also, if you're visiting this morning, welcome. I'm, I'm so glad that you've, you know, visiting. There's information on our website about the church. Uh, there's visitor packets in the hallway on that little table and visitor cards right in front, uh, connection cards. Love you to fill that out and let us know a little bit about yourself and any ways we can pray with you. There's also prayer cards for anyone who wants, uh, needs prayer, has praise reports. Acts chapter 1 this morning um, brings us, we're in the middle of Paul's third missionary journey. We're actually going to wrap up his third missionary journey. Starting in chapter 22, he'll start his fourth missionary journey. And so what we, what we find us at the end of chapter 20, if you recall, uh, we didn't go over it in detail, but Paul was there in Miletus and he was um, praying. He brought, brought the Ephesian elders uh, together and they prayed and he gave a farewell speech and he said that he had never see them again. So Paul's thinking, um, you know, he, he's got a, a goal and a vision of what God is going to bring him through. So chapter 21 brings his companions a little bit further on this missionary journey. We're at about 56, 57 A.D., Okay, so, so some of the beginning of Acts, we are um, some 22, 12, 25 years already in the book of Acts. In case you thought that the book of Acts was just like a couple of years, we, have, we are seeing a, a whole progression of 25 or so years so far, and there's a few more years to go. And so... Um, on this on this part of the journey, he's gonna he's on his way to Jerusalem. He he is um, steadfast. He's got a goal to be there by a certain time, and so he's gonna hit. We we as read down. There's just a few places um, he's gonna hit. He's um, in Asia Minor and Greece, and then they sail all the way down to you guys to Phoenicia, which Phoenicia would be up above Samaria and Galilee, and his Judea would be down here on your map. And they were started all the way up here, and so they actually crossed straight across that ocean in, in, a, in a little boat that probably wouldn't be real secure. Probably not quite as nice as Bob's boat, I'm sure. You know, not even the right same size. But anyway, so they're, they're going and, uh, and doing that. Um, they stop at a place called um, Tyre, and he spends seven days in Tyre. You know, here it's, it's interesting, just so some background, so you know, he's been on a rush. I want to get to Jerusalem. I want to get to Jerusalem. They get to Tyre, which is actually walking distance to Jerusalem. Um, but he decides not to walk, and he stays seven days in Tyre. And, and uh, we don't know why he does, but um, other than I re- we really believe um, that he was waiting for the ship to be ready. Now, why they didn't decide to walk, I'm not sure. Seven days they spend with the disciples there, and then they, um, they go down to Ptolemy and then to Caesarea, where the house of Philip the Evangelist. So in, 
in, uh, in chapter uh, 21, verse 3, it said, We had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there, was, uh, for there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. And, and this is really the key part we're going to focus in in just a few minutes. Through the Spirit, it says the disciples told him not to go up to Jerusalem. But after seven days, they sail a little bit further down, and then they stay there. Um, and then they end up in Caesarea, which is, which is just a little bit further down. Um, they stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, the Bible says, one of the seven. I think that's verse um, 6. Or actually, we just read there. Um, 5, when we'd come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we prayed together. When we finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemy, greeted the brethren, stayed with them one day, and on the next, we, who were Paul's companions, departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven. That's, that's verse 8. Simple. I don't know if you read that and says, well, one of what seven? Wasn't there 12 disciples? Go all the way back to the, the beginning of Acts chapter 6. And remember, the, the widows were having, were, the widows weren't being treated fairly. And, and, and um, they came to the apostles, and the apostles said, listen, we can't uh, neglect the preaching of the word of God for waiting on tables for serving bread. So let's choose seven people full of the Holy Spirit who can do this. One of them was Stephen. One of them was Philip the Evangelist. So this is the Philip. This, the seven they're talking about had a prominent place in the ministry of the, of the word of God um, in the church. And this is, like I said, nearly 25 years later. This Philip is still known as one of the seven. And so they're in his house. Now he has four um, prophetesses' daughters, and uh, they're prophesying. And so then as they're sitting there um, in the house of Philip, after a number of days, the Bible says that a prophet who a few weeks ago we met, his name was Agabus, he comes and he does something that the Old Testament prophets would have done. And he takes Paul's belt and he wraps it around Paul's wrists and his, and his feet and he says, this is what the Holy Spirit says. The same thing is going to happen to the man who owns this belt. They're going to tie him up in Jerusalem and they're going to hand him over to the Gentiles. And so remember, just a couple verses ago, the disciples are begging him, don't go to Jerusalem. Now he's getting really close. He's in Caesarea, and Agabus says, this is what's going to happen. He's going to be tied up and, and um, handed over to the Gentiles in verse 11. And these two small sections where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, um, the disciples in Tyre and, in, and Agabus the prophet both have messages for Paul. And I want to look at some of these messages. Um, at the first glance, it appears that the Holy Spirit is saying, danger, don't go. Then not what you read. You go, wait a second. Isn't, the, isn't God telling him not to go? So why does Paul go? I don't think that's what's happening. We're going to look a little bit deeper. So Paul's response to Agabus and the group of disciples in Caesarea is found in verse 13. But uh, it's important to note not just what Agabus in verse 12 says, but let's go ahead and read that. When we heard this, we and the people pleaded with Paul not to glow not to go. And that includes Luke, who's writing it. Every one of them is pleading with Paul, don't go, don't go. And here's what Paul says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so the Bible says that after that, the disciples knew that Paul wouldn't be dissuaded, and they said something that's really key. The Lord's will be done. 
The Lord's will be done. That's going to be important when we come back to that. We're going to finish up the chapter real quick and then come back. So Paul and his companions, even after all this, they go on to Jerusalem. Once there, they meet with James and the elders. And Paul talks about everything happening in all of his missionary journeys. And they praise God. And then they say, hey, it's great that all these things are happening. But we want to give you some advice. Um, you're being accused of telling all the Jews that they don't need to follow the laws of Moses. So we've got a plan that's going to put you in the right spot with all of the, with all the, the Jews. And I'm, I'm reading this and thinking, boy, it sounds like politics. It sounds like these are advisors to Paul. And so they come up with a plan. They said, listen, there's four people here. They want to make a vow. They're going to shave their heads and make a vow in, in the church. And so why don't you join them, pay for them, and this will show everybody that you are really um, keeping the law like a Jew. You know, and, and, I, and I tell you, we've, we're, we've just come out of the political, you know, elections, and I don't think we're out yet because there's so much divisiveness going on. But it seems like almost what we saw maybe in some of the elections, people doing things like, would they really do that? You know, some of the places they'd visit and act like they were part of it. So this is kind of interesting, but, the, but, but it might not be, you know, all that, but it, is, it does sound a little suspect. And if you think that it's wrong to think that, as you read the Bible, we're going to find out that not everyone is right. And everyone, there are some times that disagreements happen. Because why? We're all sinners. We're all fail at different times and we 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 know in part but we don't know fully so so anyways so paul takes their advice there's a whole message in that i'm not going to go in because we definitely don't have time um but he takes their advice he goes up and he has his head shaved and they go through all of these these rites and of course the disciples there in in jerusalem say don't forget that we already told all the gentile believers to abstain from blood and abstain from sexual immorality and don't any don't any eat any meat from sacrificed animals and these are the things that we think are good i'm gonna hit this really quick the disciples said don't eat any meat sacrificed to animals do you guys remember in one of the letters of paul where paul was talking about that exact same subject and what does paul say hey those idols are nothing if you want to eat the meat go ahead so right now we actually see a difference between the Jews in Jerusalem and Paul because Paul, I think, as he was walking, he realized that it wasn't important if these people had eat, ate the meat that was sacrificed to the animals, or to the, to the idols. Um, and so, so we actually see a difference between the uh, Christians in Jerusalem and Paul later on down the road. They had a difference of opinion. And we're going to find um, that's the key of this thing. So... After, this, after his seven days of the purification and all that, Paul goes up right into the temple. They see him there, and they start rioting um, against Paul. Paul has got a bad name. They think he's telling the Jews not to obey the laws of Moses. They think that Paul brought um, Gentiles into the temple. A riot breaks out, and remember, all throughout Acts, almost everywhere Paul goes, riots, riots, riots. His middle name might be Trump. I don't know. <laughs> But everywhere Paul goes, riots happen. And, and so it, it's getting so bad that the Romans hear about it and they go and they, they arrest Paul. And they, by arresting him, they kind of save him because they might have torn him apart. And the, the Romans actually think that he must be a guy from Egypt who led a revolt and that's what they think. And so they accuse him of that. And he says, no, I'm, I'm a Jew, but I'm also a Roman citizen. He goes through this 
um, process with the, the Roman guards, and he's allowed to speak to the, uh, the Jews himself, and that doesn't go very well. And that's kind of the end of chapter 21. At the end of chapter 1, Paul is in custody in, in, in under the Romans. He's going to stay there for a while, and eventually he's going to end up not in Jerusalem, but all the way back to Rome. That's the whole chapter, so let's pray and say amen. Now we get to get into something that I found really interesting in this passage, and I thought um, we need to cover it. Back in the two sections, in verses 4, if you're taking notes, and in the verse section of 10 through 14 in chapter 21, um, they're kind of the same thing is happening. In verse 4, it says the disciples um, said they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. And then in the section of 10 through 14 was Agabus' prophecy that said that he was going to be bound up and handed over in Jerusalem, and they were going to hand him over to the Gentiles. And then all of the Christians, all of the believers... Uh, cried and prayed with him, trying to tell him, don't go. Don't do it. And yet Paul does. So here's where the debate comes in. Who was right? Who was right? If you read that slowly, you've you got to realize that it said through the Spirit they tried to tell him and then that the Holy Spirit told Agabus to do this thing. So either, um, there's some options. Part, part of it would be that, that uh, Paul is just rebellious that he's going to do what he wants to do, even though God tried to tell him not to do it. And actually, there's a number of Christian authors and writers, commentators, who, who say just exactly that, that Paul disobeyed God, that God was still sovereign and he blessed him, but God, that Paul went against God's leading. And you can read commentaries, a number of commentaries. I found plenty of them that said that. And then there's others, and, and where I fall, is that, that we misinterpret these things and don't fully look at it. I don't think Paul was disobedient at all. And, I, and I'll explain why uh, from the passages here. That, uh, that the people didn't want him to go. The people didn't want him to go. Um, let me get here. Let's start with uh, Agabus and then we'll go back to verse 4. V- verse 11. I'm reading out New King James. It says, When he had come to us, He took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now there's nothing to believe, there's no reason for us to believe that Agabus is a false prophet. In fact, they set up that Agabus predicted a famine in the lands that did happen. Historically, we know that happened. So Agabus isn't a false prophet, so what's the deal? So he says, hey, this is what's going to happen. Well, it happened. So we know he's a a false prophet. So then we might go to say, see, Paul was disobedient. There's a a word missing in this section that, that is really key. It said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Not once does Agabus say, so therefore don't go. He also doesn't say, if. He could have said, if you go to Jerusalem, this is going to happen to you, so therefore don't go. All the prophet is saying is, this is going to happen. And it does. See, it doesn't mean that it was not right for him to go. Does that make sense? 
The warnings of danger weren't necessarily a command to refrain from going to Jerusalem. Paul knew uh, that there was dangers awaiting him. He said that many times. Um, Paul says that he, he was warned that troubles waited for him in Rome. In Acts 23, he also let Luke know how he heard that the Lord told him, told him Take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify again about me in Rome. Paul has got something in his heart. I don't think he knows exactly what it is, but he's on a path. He knew he had to go to Jerusalem. He knew that things were going to happen. Didn't know, I don't think he knew necessarily how it was going to turn out yet. But he says he was ready to die. Also, um, you know, Paul at some point, he absolutely knew he was going to Rome. We just read that scripture. So I think that he's feeling that conviction. Have you ever felt a conviction? You ever been wrong? <laughs> we got to learn how to dis- di- uh, differentiate sometimes. Let's go back to verse 4. It says, Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Okay, and, and this is just kind of the breaking down the passage to help us understand whether or not Paul was being disobedient, um, and I believe, believe not. But part of the thing is it says that through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So the key here is that these people are just urging him not to go. It didn't say God told Paul not to go. It just said that they urged him not to go. And then some of the commentators, some people say, well, yeah, but if it's through the Spirit, doesn't that mean it's right? Here's the thing. In the Bible, the word spirit is used to talk about the Holy Spirit many, many, many times. The majority of it in the New Testament is talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, But the same word, pneumatos, in Luke 7 says evil pneumatos. Luke 11, unclean pneumatos. So we're not just talking about God's spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, um, it, it, the scripture says, I had no rest in my spirit. So now the word spirit is talking about something inside of us. Um, 2 Corinthians 7 says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. So now we have a word that can mean spirit that's dirty. The Holy Spirit is not unclean, it's not dirty, it's not filthy, yet all these words are still used for the same things, the word spirit. Um, Ephesians 4 talks about the spirit of the mind. This isn't the Holy Spirit. This is talking about that that, that part of us that is is, um, almost indescribable. The thing that separates us, I believe, from the animals, that spirit man inside of us that, uh, you know, some would say, well, is it the soul or is it the spirit? Because now we're talking about English compared to what they said in the Greek. That mind, will, and emotion, that thing that makes up the essence of us. Um, And and there's plenty of other scriptures that use the word spirit in other cases. So when that says, through the spirit they urged him, I think it's talking about a deep passion through everything in their being. They were trying to urge him not to go. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit, so I don't believe that we need to believe that, that through the Holy Spirit they urged him. I think they would have said that we prayed and God urged him, if that's what, what they, the uh, author wanted to say. So if these warnings then were simply warnings of danger, and that's what I think that they were, is what happened is that they felt in their heart, in their spirit, that Paul was about to go into danger. What would be your natural reaction if you knew anyone was heading off to danger? Don't go, right? That's not necessarily the answer. That's not necessarily the answer. Are you all familiar with Jim Elliott? Okay, the missionary down in, in South, uh, South America um, who went with his, his a few men and they went to this tribe and they were killed. Well, then, a few, then years later, 
the wives went back and some and the wives went back to the tribe and they actually brought Jesus to the tribe and the whole tribe ended up coming to Christ and I had the privilege of being in a service in San Francisco where one of the leaders of the tribe who was responsible for killing Jim Elliot was there he didn't speak English he was an Indian I mean from I think was was it Peru Ecuador it was Ecuador but and he was there because he had found Christ and how he was traveling and through an interpreter which was was um, the son of one of the other missionaries was sharing the gospel so was it bad that Jim Elliot went and was killed well, we'd say, if his wife would say, of course, to some degree, yet she went back. See, see we think so finitely, and we have these, these thoughts in our mind, well, if it's, if it's dangerous, don't go do it. But Paul was going, no, danger is my middle name. <laughs> he was ready to go into the danger because it was important. That's what God had for him. But the, the disciples, I think, misunderstood the unction. And they were like, no, man, it's dangerous. We don't want you to go. Really, to be harsh, they're just being selfish because they don't want to see anything happen to Paul. Paul's chief concern was not for his own well-being, but for the will of God. Paul's chief concern wasn't about his own well-being. It was for the will of God. I want to read some scriptures that help to lay a foundation for this belief because I think in, in this time in Christianity, especially in the United States of America where we are pretty protected, the idea of actually suffering for Jesus doesn't mean a lot. Most of us don't really know what it means to suffer for Christ. Um, but the Bible, I believe, paints a picture that people suffer all the time. First Corinthians, I'm sorry, First Peter 4.12 says this, Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. There's an encouraging word. Who had a trial this week? Anyone? Don't be surprised that this is something strange. We're going to go through fiery trials. Romans chapter 5 says this. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. I need some help in that part. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Suffering is actually something good for us in the spiritual realm and in the natural realm. If you've ever gone to work out and become stronger or faster, it hurts and you suffer in order to get better. In order to persevere in any line of work, you have to suffer a little bit. So this is a spiritual principle and it's a very natural principle. James chapter 1 says, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Perseverance. This is what God is wanting to get into, into all of us. You know, we've all seen people who come to Christ and they, and they just burn really bright, and then they fade off, and they're gone. And, and it, you know, it's been very sad at times to see some of the people who did that because they didn't understand that it was, it was really a marathon and not a sprint. And we have to learn perseverance and have to go through tough things together. It's one of the reasons God puts us in a body of people together so that, that when we get discouraged, we can help each other through the difficult times. Okay, uh, John sixteen thirty three says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. 
in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Hey, you know, scripture after scripture, we're just seeing that, that Jesus promised us difficult times and, and hard times, but we're going to persevere, we're going to keep pressing in, and that thank God that he in those times will give us peace. Hebrews 13, in the New Living Translation, says this, For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. We're going to go through trials and difficulties in this world, but God is going to give us peace in the time, and he's going to give us a hope that where we're going is better than this, for our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians chapter 3 says. St. Corinthians, just a couple more scriptures. For our present troubles are small. And some of you would say, have you seen my troubles? <laughs> and they won't last very long. In the light of eternity, they're very short yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. And here's a real promise I want us to hang on to this morning. Matthew 19, 29 says this, Everyone who's given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Paul understood these things. Well, he wrote most of them. Later on, these are the books that he wrote. They come right out of that. But we, we struggle. We have trials. Some of you have given up occupations, uh, maybe given up uh, a, a girlfriend when you were, you know, uh, when you were younger, saying you know, they're, they, they're just not serving the Lord or a boyfriend, and you've given these things up. But the Bible promises that this, this world isn't our home and that we will receive a hundredfold more in the world to come. In other words, we got to be like Paul who gets our, our focus and says this world is, is just a little bit and we're going to focus in and allow him to take us wherever he wants to take us and let his will be done. So how does this really affect us this morning? Because the truth is God is probably not calling all of us in here to be martyrs. I don't think so. If all of us are called to be martyred, I'm scared because it's going to happen while we're all together. <laughs> So God has got a calling on each and every one of you. And God has got a plan for each and every one of you. The question is, what is the plan? So how does this, so okay, so God's got a plan. So, well, well, okay, great. So what? The disciples had an idea of what the plan of God was for Paul's life. Paul had a different understanding of what it was, and they disagreed. Has that ever happened where you believed one thing and somebody close to you believed something else? <laughs> all the time happens all the time well I think we're supposed to move and people next to you would say no you're not supposed to move we love you we don't want you to go you say yeah but I think we're supposed to move and, and you know we're going to move to a strange place we don't know anyone there but just feel like and then people all around you are going to give their opinions right have you ever given your opinion to somebody else who said something the same way yeah, this, is, right, this is a normal situation that we're talking about. So, so this morning, I just want to lay out some things that would maybe uh, in, encourage us and help us to, to work with each other. Right now, I mean, there's a big one. There's, a, there's, a number of, there's about 50% of the people who voted for Clinton, 50% of the people who voted for Trump, and people don't respect each other's opinion, and they're blasting them. It went from this is what I believe is best to 
you're an idiot for not agreeing with me. Hey, that's not what God called us to. He didn't call us to that. Not at all. And, how ma- and, and we're not going to go political just like last week when we talked about the two candidates that weren't the two candidates you thought. We're not going to go political because really it's, it's everyday situation because we have um, differences of opinion with people all the time. How often do we really know whether someone's actions are of God or not? I mean, when I was going and studying this, I, I was convicted because if you, I mean, if you spent any time with me and, you know, huh, Jesse, I'll give my opinion all the time. I'm learning to shut up. It's, it's, it's working just a little bit. I'll come up, I'll have an opinion. Well, you should probably do this, and I think this would be better, and, and I'll just give my opinion to my kids and my family, like, oh, yes, he does that. I have an opinion about everything. I've got to learn to keep a lot of those opinions to myself. And then I also have to learn how I can maybe share an opinion without being dogmatic. Uh, If I have an opinion that that might be valid, to to share it and and, and just leave it alone and and not force it upon somebody. I know that none of you in here can relate with that. (laughs) See, we really don't know very often what the will of God is for people's lives. And, and I think that we've got to be very, very, very careful to say this is the will of God for you in your life because God told me. You know, in the Old Testament, if you prophesied and were wrong, they would take you out and stone you. <laughs> There'd be a lot of dead people in church. You know, you know you, you, there's, there's one that happens. It, it happens all the time at, at Bible colleges and, and youth retreats and where young adults are at. This guy goes up to this girl and says, God told me that you're supposed to marry me. <laughs> I am not kidding. Has, okay, here's bold. Has, anyone, has that ever happened to anyone in the room, actually, where someone says, God told me you're supposed to date me or marry me? I know a number of people that's happened to them. I'm like, are you serious? That's pretty bold. So why would God tell you and not me? <laughs> right? Well, that's kind of a funny one. But when we're talking with people, we need to understand that, that as we give an opinion or a thought, is this really God? Does God like open borders or closed borders? Don't you respond. Because <laughs> some of you will have an opinion. I encourage you to think about that and say, wait a second. I don't know if he cares. Does God love the USA more than he does Mexico? Oh, so I'm not, I'm not trying to go one way or the other. What I'm trying to help us to go is like we, we have maybe put too much emphasis on things that we think is just God. And we need to understand that we're dealing with people and we need to learn how to, to, to walk this world, this life with people, with Christians and non-Christians. Now, the truth is if you, if you don't know Christ, there's going to be a lot of things in your life that are outside of the will of God. And the first one is that he just wants to come, you to come to him and understand that he loves you, that he sent his son to die for you, and that you can have eternal life. That's where it starts. So a lot of this, I think, really needs to be focused between um, brothers, uh, people who are Christians. So how do we know? I think most of the time we don't. Now, most of the time we don't know whether somebody's decision is, is really of God or not. We just give our opinions. We have, a, we have an opinion. We give advice. How do we know? Well, let's start with this. The Bible is pretty clear about what is sin. 
So I'm not talking about things that are absolutely sinful. Hey, I'm thinking about sleeping with my girlfriend. What do you think? Answer, pretty simple. No. No, it's not of God. Hey, I'm thinking about going out and getting drunk tonight. Pretty simple. No. Bible says don't be drunk. These are, these are really simple. Hey, you know, I've been you know, stealing a little bit of money from my, my boss because he has so much. No. Right? Well, they had all this. <laughs> he can, Pat can get mad at me. When Pat, my brother, was really young, he worked at McDonald's. And they used to have a, a rule that whatever food was left over at 2 o'clock when they closed, they could take home. And they were always supposed to have their food ready in case they had a rush. <laughs> they had a rush of business. And they, you know, if you've ever worked fast food, especially McDonald's, like the food is sitting there ready. And so about 1.45, they'd go, I think we're about to have a rush. We better cook. And so they would drop like, you know, a hundred nuggets and piles of fries and all these burgers like right at 145. You remember? <laughs> and Pat would come home with all these bags of McDonald's food. Man, I need to repent for eating it. You know, we weren't saved, so it's okay. We, you know, that was, that was the least of the things we were doing wrong. But, but why do people do that? Well, because McDonald's has so much food, they won't miss it. But see, these are, these are black and whites. For Christians, these are black and whites. There's, there's no 50 shades of gray in these, some of these areas. Now, there are some gray areas that, that we would have maybe disagreements, but the, the Bible is pretty clear for, the major, for, for a lot of these sins. Um, and the, the Bible also lays out for us how we handle that. Galatians 6.1. If a brother is caught in a sin... You who are spiritual should restore them gently, but watch yourself lest you also be tempted. Galatians 6.1. So when you've got a brother, a friend, somebody who loves the Lord, and they're out and they're sinning and they're caught in a sin, you're supposed to restore them. It doesn't say shoot them. It doesn't say condemn them. It doesn't say beat them up. It doesn't call, say call them an idiot and all these other things that we like to do. Though, you know, between men, you know, men can call one another an idiot. And they might, you know, they kind of understand, dude, you're just being an idiot. Come on. See, guys know that. Restore them gently. Watch yourself, lest you also be tempted. So this is, this is sin. But I'm not talking as much about blatant sins as I am things that, are, uh, that can really fall under the opinion. There's a lot of things that we might encounter where we don't agree. In fact, we might even feel really strong that someone else is making the wrong decision for their life. Happens all the time. So I want to give us a couple of quick keys for this. Um, and, and hopefully this will cause us, and, and, and I'm preaching to myself, cause us to think a little bit more um, before we say things. One, what do the scriptures say? What do the scriptures say about the, sub, this, this, the subject that's going on? Whatever it is. is. Do the scriptures say anything? You can now, with internet access, you can find online concordances and type in a couple of words and find out if there's any scriptures in the Bible that talk about it. I encourage you to do that. Hey, does the Bible talk about this subject? And read it. And, and, and then if you, can, if you have a Bible, a study Bible, especially one with a, um, a chain reference where there's scriptures that point you to other scriptures, read the, read the Bible, read the passages. Does it talk anything about this subject? Two, what does wisdom say? And what does wisdom say? Is there any wisdom involved in that? 
And if you lack wisdom, James, the book of James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him pray and ask God who's going to give it. But what would what will wisdom say? What does scripture say? What's, what's wisdom for this person? Third one, what does the Holy Spirit say? Okay, let's go to Paul for a second. Well, the scriptures, only the Old Testament was written at the time of Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament himself. So there wasn't a lot of scriptures uh, that, that might talk about these things. So here Paul is going to go to Jerusalem and get arrested. All the people say, bad idea, danger, Will Robinson, don't do it. So they go through, well, what does the scripture say? Well, some of the prophets were killed. So, you know, you got some plum pluses over there. But, but, you know, David, when he was in, there was this one place he was at and, and the, the Lord, you know, the, came word that they were going to come and attack them there. And uh, so he prayed, well, Lord, are they going to turn me over? Are they going to get me here? And he says, yes. And so David left. So the scriptures could actually say to Paul, don't go. Because David didn't let himself get killed. Why should you? And that's a good question. Right? You take a scripture and you say, well, man, David, he escaped danger, then Paul should too. Here's the problem. God had a plan for David that was different than Paul's. God has a plan for you that's different than your neighbor's. We need to know what God's plan is for us. So we begin to pray, God, what is your plan? Now here's, the, here's an interesting thing. If we're the one giving advice, right there we realize God's probably not going to tell me. He's probably going to tell them. He might confirm the word through me. In fact, that's often what God does. Is he, he brings somebody with a gift of knowledge or of wisdom or with prophecy, and they all work a little differently. He might bring somebody and tell them to give a word to somebody. But that word is supposed to confirm what God is already telling you. So guys, if you're me, if you're telling somebody, if you've got all these ideas for other people and you're going to be dogmatic about it, let's stop and say, wait a second, what's the Holy Spirit saying? And right there, we're, our chief goal is to pray for the person to hear from God, not to be God to the person. Okay? I have to repent. I have to, I've played God in people's lives. I, most, of, most of the time, the, the truth, most of the time is that I, I don't think it's dogmatic like that. It's, hey, well, you could do this. I'm like the guy with a million options. Well, have you thought about doing this and you could do this? But at the end, do whatever you want. I'm just throwing out options. But there's been a few times that I probably stepped over the line and played God. Pray, seek God for gifts of wisdom and a knowledge to be present. What do the scriptures say? What does wisdom say? What does the Holy Spirit say? And again, this is probably isn't in you. It's in the person needing to know they're doing God's will. So if you're the person that you believe you know what you're supposed to do, how do you respond then when somebody comes and gives you their opinion? Well, I think we should be open to instruction. Proverbs 19 says this, Listen to counsel and accept discipline, that you may be wise the rest of your days. There is a, a, a thing called wisdom that we need to be open to and experience and knowledge. There's been some times in my life where people have spoken into my life and said, listen, I see the situation you're in and I, I really believe you should not do this or you should do this. 
There's been times I've hated it, but there's been too many times that I said, and I just did my own thing. And I tell you, there's been a couple of times where that's happened, where it was years of dealing with the results and the consequences of not listening to wisdom and counsel from people. Let's not be so arrogant and prideful that we're not willing to listen to, to experience and wisdom. doesn't mean we just have to do what everyone says, but let's, let's have hearts that would be open to listening. So let's be open to instruction. Let's be teachable. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love. Right? The very, we, we could have started with this. Always start with love. Love one another. If you love somebody, you're not going to tell them everything to do because you don't want to have everyone, somebody tell you everything to do. Right? But it also says that love is not haughty. It's not proud. The reason we don't take advice because we don't want to admit that you might be smarter than me. <laughs> I just say it like it is. Because there's been times in my life that I was even like, you know, if I do this now, it's like admitting that they're better than me. And I don't want to do that. And I'm sure none of you have ever struggled with that either. Be teachable. Be full of love and mercy and grace. Be seeking the Lord yourself. And I want to say, if you are the person who's trying to make decisions about things to do in your life, and they could be big things and they can be little things. I can be really blunt because I'm usually so passive and don't say, say things that hurt people's feelings. If you're, if you're living in sin, this doesn't apply to you. Because you have opened yourself up to deception in every part of your life, you just don't know it. If you're believing the devil about a certain area of your life, you are really untrustworthy because you are open to deception. So if you're seeking the will of God for your life and you know you've got a secret sin, a pet sin, repent. Get out of it. Because I don't think you'll really truly know that you can hear from God. And I know because I was there and the word teaches this too. When you're caught in a sin, you begin to even justify it and you come up with scriptures and you start even questioning the scriptures and you say, you know, that's not even what the scriptures were talking about. They're saying this is okay. And you'll come up with every reason and pretty soon you begin to believe that deception. And if you're believing deception in one area, the enemy has got you right where he wants you and that I don't, I don't believe you can trust yourself to hear from God and know the difference between the voice of God and the voice of the enemy. And that's a pretty harsh statement. I'm not saying someone who, sin, we all sin. Every day we wake up and we, I'm, I'm talking about people who've opened the door and have a sin in their life. And you know what it is. If it's you, you know which one it is. So come back to the Lord. The Bible says receive times of refreshing from him. If you really want to hear from God in an area of your life, if there's anything out of, out of whack, get rid of it. Just get rid of it. And then come back and hear from the Lord. So we got both. We got those that are giving advice and opinions and those that are receiving them. Here's what we want to do. We want to encourage those that we disagree with. We want to love one another deeply. Deeply. 
You know the Bible says that, that we're supposed to love the brethren, but we're also supposed to love the unsaved, so we're pretty much stuck loving everyone. Some of you, and I, I, don't, know, I don't know about some of you, because I honestly haven't, haven't seen, but I, I've got people that I know that I've read some of their posts, and I went, they need to know they're supposed to love people. Some of these posts re- recently have not been full of love. See, because we've all been given gifts. We have wisdom, supernatural wisdom. We have knowledge. We have, we have all the spiritual gifts. And let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. I'm sorry, I'm going long. <laughs> now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It's for the common good. Whatever gifts you have, if you're using it and, and it's not for the common good, then stop using it. If you're using your gift just to be cool and show people that you're wise or you've got understanding and you're not thinking about the common good, it needs to be for the common good. All gifts have been given from God for the common good. We're, we're opening up our mouth. We need to think, okay, is this really going to help them? Is it going to help other people? Is this for the good? Have I sought the Lord? Have I sought the word? Am I walking in grace and mercy and love? Am I, am I being prideful? We just want to question ourselves. And then if we are the person wanting to make the decision, we need to be teachable. We need to be open to instruction But above all, we need to be hearing from God because Paul knew what he was supposed to do and he took the hard road. I can't imagine that there was any martyrs and the gift of martyrdom is a real gift and I can't believe that too many of these martyrs went, you know, I know what God is leading me. I'm going to move to the Middle East and I don't know how long I'm going to last but I'm going to preach the gospel until I die I don't think too many of their moms and dads says, that's so good, son. I'm so excited for you. They said, go back and pray again. You're missing it. You're missing it. You're missing it. So we need to be closely connected to God. And when we know what God is calling us to, we need to be going in that direction as long as it lines up with the word of God because it will never contradict the word of God. Amen. Why do we do that? Because 1 Samuel says it clean, plainly. To obey is better than sacrifice. Just obey. Just obey. Obey him when you love one another. Obey him when he calls you to do something. Obey him when he calls you to keep your mouth closed and not say anything. Because God has a plan for us to work together to see his kingdom established, the gospel preached. People, he wants... He wants to find in you his purpose. He wants you to find it and be obedient to it no matter what. And we know that there's going to be cost in that. There's going to be some loss. But God will see us through. And that which we lose for his sake, we'll gain a hundredfold in the time to come. Let's stand. Father, this morning, I'm, I'm encouraged to see that even in the Bible, there were differences of opinion. There were disagreements. 
God, that yet submitted to you, your will wins out. God, even if we make a mistake, if we submit ourselves to you, you will restore years. You will forgive us. You will be gracious to us. So God, we commit ourselves freshly to you. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to be those who would be open and teachable, God, and not proud, not haughty. Father, we thank you for the words of wisdom and and, uh, experience that might speak into our life. God, we invite that. We also want to be close to you so that we don't hear words from the enemy. And Father, for us that, that are those who at times give advice and encouragement, Lord, we pray that we would also not be the voice of the enemy in somebody's life. That, God, we would always point to you and point to love and, and, and point to the cross of Jesus. That we would never be overbearing and try to run people's life, God. Father, many of us just need to learn to, to keep our opinions to ourself more often and just listen. Father, I pray that you would teach us not just in this congregation, but teach us as the body of Christ. Let this, this message get out from here so that Christians would love one another and care for one another, encourage one another, and we would do things for the common good. Fill us all with your Holy Spirit that we might hear from you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen.